Thank you. It's lovely to be with you. Um, could we have the passage up? Thank you, Daniel, for reading it. But I just wanted to highlight a couple of pointers of this passage that I'm going to refer to as we go through. And one of them is that um, you have come to God who is the judge of all. So God is judge to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So that's the saints who have been made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, we're going to look at the issue of covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I accept it's an obscure passage, really, in, at one level, but I'm going to go through it, and I'm going to start with the last bit about the sprinkled blood, the word that, um, the word, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, that's from, the, from Genesis 4, and it's the story about Cain and Abel. But I want to start with a conversation we had in my home just not that long ago. And um, someone said to me, they were telling me a story about a, a set of siblings two brothers, and I'm going to call them Jack and Peter. If I can muddle up the names, I apologize. But this was, the, this was what they were saying to me. They came to me and they said, you know what? Jack is the oldest, Peter is the youngest. And they said, it's really hard for Jack because you know how it is. Peter just seems to have everything. He's good looking. He's really good at sport. He's clever. And furthermore, what's worse is he's got one of those personalities that everyone loves him. And I thought, yeah, I get that. I mean, generally, be it a sibling or someone else, I thought, yeah, I get that. And I was... It made me understand something about the story of Cain and Abel. And so I'm going to read you. The story of Cain and Abel happens in Genesis 4. And it goes like this. Adam and Eve had two sons. The eldest son was Cain and the youngest son was Abel. Cain was a farmer and Abel looked after sheep. One day, they both gave an offering to God. Now, we're going to read the passage for you to see what happens and what God says to them. Could we have the passage up? And I'll read it to you. Abel, on his, his part, also brought... I'm going to read it from here because I find it hard to read it from up there. And Abel also brought an offering... Uh, no, that's not the bit I'm reading. And Abel brought an offering. Yep. Okay, here we go. I'll read that one. Abel, on his part, also bought uh, of the firstling of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, 
he had no regard. Another translation says, for the Lord showed favor towards Abel's offering, but for Cain's offering, he did not show favor. So Cain became angry. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? So two responses. Why are you getting angry? And why are you getting depressed? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. I think we understand and recognize that feeling. Is that right? When we encounter situations. It's a common feeling. I'm sure it's not just me who experiences this. Um, Cain told his brother Abel, and it came about when they were in the fields that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? That's God. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So basically, what happened was, and what I think happened here was, that what Cain didn't like was the fact that God was showing his favor to his brother and it made him angry now in reality the number of times I know of myself when my instant reaction when I see something in someone else that I would like is either that I feel resentful or I feel depressed because I think I can't do anything they're so good this is a cosmic story almost. This is a story of the universe. This is the story of all our humanity every day of the week. And it talks about covetousness. And that is a big biblical word that runs all the way through scripture. It's also a very everyday experience of all of us. And if we track back to Adam and Eve... Why did Eve get tempted? Because what she coveted was she wanted to be like God. She wanted what God had. And the root of covetousness is that either we want the thing that someone has, or we want what that thing gives them. If you're beautiful, you don't have to make much of an effort, do you? The whole world looks at you. If you're really clever and able to do things quickly, you get through school easily. It's very, very difficult for us as human beings to either not get depressed or not covet. And that's why I think this story is there, because it is a reflection of our human condition. And it's not to make you feel bad, because this is my story, this is your story, this is every single human being's story. And the root of what we call the fall and the root of sin is covetousness, really. 
when it comes down to it. So we have this story here. What happened to Cain? The result of this was that God, it says that God punished Cain. And in the Bible, when you hear the word curse, it means punishment. And when you hear the word blessing, it means reward. And basically, what happened to Cain was, he, God said, you will be a wanderer in the land, and, you will, um, and the land will be hard, not very dissimilar to what he said to Adam and Eve. So in this story, which is all our stories, the result of the sin was that we experience the punishment that comes with it. And that punishment we experience often as alienation from each other, alienation from God, a bit of guilt, lots of shame. And it's there in the root of the human condition and the root of the human story. And I felt this morning that God wanted to actually probably ask me, ask us all this question. When we experience um, this covetousness, he says to us, you must master it. That's the challenge. You must master it. He's not saying you can change your heart, but he is saying you don't give way to it. Be it depression or be it rage, because as Jesus said, those are the roots that in the end lead to murder. And we are all guilty of it. But that's not where the story ends, so you don't need to worry. It's not the ba- the, it doesn't end at the bad news. But actually, we need to start with the reality of who we are. That's the starting point. So, but just, to, and, and, but just as a sort of rider, I just want to say, the one thing that we know that uh, we're told by Paul is that God doesn't have favourites. And he doesn't want us to show favoritism. So this story is not about a God who is actually being rather nasty in the way he brought up his children. Because there is that story also that we may have to address. But in this story, it's not that. This is God is just saying, you know, this is straight, the straight jealousy and covetousness we feel in our hearts. And it leads to murder. And the end result of that is that there is a curse There is a punishment that is on humanity. And now we move to the good news. How does God deal with this? Well, in the passage, it said that we come to Jesus Christ and to a new covenant. Let me just find my notes here. Okay. Okay. What is a covenant? I'm going to use, since I cannot explain it as well as a man called Tim Keller, I am going to use the, uh, how he explains covenant. Because the issue of covenant is so key and so central to us understanding what we should be now, what God has done in Jesus Christ, And what redemption means. And all the songs we sang this morning hinge on this concept 
of covenant. Now, the one thing that we need to know is that there is no such thing as just a relationship with God. Every relationship biblically is a covenantal relationship. Okay? So we need to understand the concept. It is a covenantal relationship. So what is a covenantal relationship? It's more than, this is what Tim Keller says, it is more than um, a legal relationship. Okay? That God is judge. In that passage it said God is judge. But it's not just that. It's not like my relationship with my solicitor, which is just a bunch of legalese. That's not our relationship with God. But it is actually also more than a personal relationship. Should I say that again? It's not just personal. It does have a legal element to it. All the way through the Bible, God's relationship with people is covenantal. It's both legal and it's both loving. And it has to be that way because he is judge and he is father. And it's quite a hard one to understand, but I will explain it. So there is, Tim Keller goes, there is a stunning blend of law and love in our relationship with God. It, it melds the two. It is the only way God relates to us today also. And I'll explain that too. In a covenantal relationship, there are rewards and there are punishments. There are blessings and there are curses. There are, you need to fulfill your side of the relationship and I will fulfill mine. Now that sounds very Old Testament and I'm going to have to explain it a bit more to you. But it is there and it exists If you imagine a covenantal relationship is nearer a marriage than it is with my grocer. It is more enduring. You enter into it for better, for worse. It is mutual. If one party doesn't agree to it and doesn't live by it, it doesn't work. It requires two people to live by it and two people to, for, to make it work. Some friendships are more covenantal than others, aren't they? Because in a covenantal relationship, you will have mutuality, you will have the voluntary choice of being in the relationship. It's not very covenantal if you're dragged in. You make some binding vows And there is a faithful and accountable element. So you think you would have some friends that you have more of a covenantal relationship with than others. You may have family members that you have that with, that you are accountable to, that through thick or thin, 
you're there for each other, that you have made that binding commitment to each other. That is the nature of the relationship we have, God has. That is the only type of relationship he has. He wants that from us all, and it's mutual, and it's two-sided. Um, and Tim Keller says, this concept of this mutual relationship is what drives the biblical narrative forward. And you will see that all the way through scripture. They do wrong. The children of Israel do wrong. God renews his covenant. Something else happens. They do something else and God punishes them and then he comes back. So he is remaining faithful all the way through this, but his expectations of them keeps going on and on and on. And all the way through scripture, you see that. That's the story of scripture. This covenantal relationship. Now, in order to understand the blood of Jesus, where it starts, and this is the wonder element that I've been coming to, is we have to look at a story that is in Genesis 15. And it is the story where God makes his big promise of blessing to Abraham. And... um, It is an amazing story. So I'm going to just go through that with you. Basically, the way covenants were made in the Middle East was this. In in the desert communities of the Middle East was this. Often, they would take a set of animals, they would chop them in half, they would put one half here, they would put one half there, and the blood would flow between them, and the lesser party generally and often it was both of them, would walk through the blood. Okay, I have got a rather poor picture for you, because if animals are cut in half, they are dead generally, but this one is not a great one. Oh, you can't see it. But basically, this is what happens in Genesis 5. God calls Abraham to make a covenant. These animals look rather too alive for things that have been cut in half. But this was the way a covenant was made. You cut the animals in half and you walked through the blood. And do you know what you are saying when you walk through the blood? You are saying, if I break my side of the covenant, may I be like one of these animals torn in half. That's what you're saying. And this was what Abraham was asked to do. So the expectation would be that Abraham walked through the blood as he made his covenant with God. But let's read the story on the next slide. And I'll read it out to you of what actually happened. He took him outside. This is God Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, that's God speaking to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited credited him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? In other words, God, how do I know you're going to keep your side of the covenant? So the Lord said to him, 
Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. Now this is what's the interesting bit. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. That was God's judgment coming down. When the sun had set, the darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Do you know what that's saying? It's saying that only God walked through the blood. Abraham would have been waiting to say, but what about me? But it didn't happen. Only God walked through the blood. And what that meant was that God was saying, I will fulfill the covenant and I will be ripped apart when the covenant is broken, not you. It is an extraordinary thing. He says, not only will I be torn to pieces if I don't keep my promise. This is what Tim Keller says. But I will be torn to pieces if you don't keep your promise. It's an utter wonder. God says, I know you can't live like that. I know that you cannot keep your promises. You cannot do your bit in this covenantal relationship. But you know what? I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to walk through that blood. And my judgment will fall on me and not on you. And this was an extraordinary prefiguring which down the centuries, this is what we read. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Elo, elo, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, 
Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Thank you. The curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. It is an extraordinary thing that God has done. It is a covenantal relationship that we are called into. And this is what Tim Keller says. He says, What should my response be? So with every fibre of my being, I try to obey the will and law of the covenant. But when I fail, I know there is no condemnation or need for despair. I've put that in. For those who are in Christ Jesus. The only right response to this covenantal relationship is that we take it very seriously. We take our part very seriously. And the blood of Abel that cried out for justice has to be answered. But it was answered by God when he walked through the blood and when he hung on the cross and he took the punishment and it is rolling through the, the pages of scripture, pushing forward all the time that this covenantal relationship is the one, is, is with one who has done both parts of the covenant. And that's why it is such good news to us this morning. And, um, and I feel that God wants us to, particularly over the issue of covetousness, knowing that there is no condemnation and knowing that there is no reason to despair and knowing that actually he thinks you are so special that he doesn't want you to compare yourself with other people. He really doesn't. And he doesn't want you to covet because you are so special. He made that covenant relationship with you individually. And he wants us to respond and not allow sin to crouch at our door. And he wants us to master it and respond to master it because he knows how good you are. He knows how much he's done for you. He wants that bit of you that is he loves so dearly to be the bit that just expresses itself and shines amazingly. But it is the most fantastic, fantastic gospel. Thank you, Shino. Thank you so much. Um, 
let's just spend a couple of minutes just reflecting that um, there's so much in what Sheena's just uh, spoken to us about and so much in what she's just shared. So let's just have a couple of minutes of um, just meditation, just hearing from God what he's saying to us about how much he loves us, about this amazing covenant relationship that he has with us. And uh, let's just um, ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us now. <laughs> 